We're back for season six of my podcast. I'm all about putting the human factor back into business by helping organisations become places where people are happy, well and able to perform at their best. And that's what my guests shed light on with their expertise and experience. As those who know me will be very familiar with, my mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. And that means we'll be covering a whole range of topics that impact on employee experience, engagement and mental well-being. And many of you will know that I hate tick boxes. So we'll be kicking those out, getting beneath the surface of shiny new initiatives, stripping back layers of complexity and going back to the fundamentals of good business. That's the people. This series runs alongside the launch of Leadership Labs and Manager Labs that I'm excited to be facilitating with the fabulous Gemma Ellison of Heart Leadership. These are interactive and dynamic communities that turn typical L&D on its head. If you are a manager or leader and want an opportunity to problem solve, challenge the status quo, experiment and evaluate all within a small supportive group, get in touch. More information and contact details are in the podcast notes. I'm your host, Lisa, psychologist, psychotherapist and founder of It's Time for Change. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Water Cooler. Just before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that this episode is a bit different. Amantha and I are continuing our conversation about the Resilience Collective. So here is the next episode in that series. So welcome to the second episode of the Resilience Collective. My name is Amantha King. I'm an executive performance coach and a workplace menopause consultant. And I'm introducing this episode because Lisa did it last time. And I like to introduce Lisa Lloyd. So Lisa, introduce yourself for people if they missed the first one, how dare they? If they missed the first episode. If you missed the first one, you just go back and listen. Um, I'm Lisa Lloyd um, of It's Time for Change. And I'm a psychologist um, and I work with organisations to enable their people to thrive. And so, yeah, do go back and watch the first one if you haven't seen or heard it. Um, it's available. Uh, where is it available, Lisa, actually? Well, it should be on my website. So I, I'm, that's that's going to be uh, the, the place where it's all going to be sitting. Um, and we're gonna we can put links in uh, at the end of this episode as well so people can go back. I think the first one's really helpful in terms of setting the scene for why we are doing this whole Resilience Collective and what we're going to be talking about over the various episodes. So, um, so yeah, it should be good. And I look forward yeah. to this one because you know what? Ironically, calling talking this talking about stress today, my camera has got a really lovely lag on it, which has caused me stress. <laughs> trying to yes. sort it out, and it won't work. <laughs> no, no, no. And so, and so, so this is our second episode, and we're going to be talking about stress and, um. It's one of those ones, isn't it? If you checked back and did a, a rewind on your own dialogue, you'd probably notice and might be surprised how many times you do mention the topic of stress, even as a throwaway. Oh, you know, I'm really stressed. Mm -hmm. Some nightmare parking the car or or like your video camera, you know, mm -hmm. having a bit of a time lag on it. Maybe we don't label it, but we definitely sense it. So mm -hmm. this is a really important one. And we we thought long and hard about the order of the topics and the resources. And that's why we felt stress was right back at that at the beginning, because correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa, in the chapters that are coming, how how ingrained is stress in mental health, would you say? I mean, the correlation between stress and other areas of mental health, there's a huge correlation. So um, 
but I think that goes for when you know when we're experiencing any challenges in our day-to-day life then it whatever that's about whether that's about our mental health or something else it it impacts on our our levels of stress so it's so this is kind of at the core and I think it's always going to go back to key messages that whether that's about stress or something specific like anxiety or OCD or um, depression or whatever else we're going to be talking about over the coming episodes all those are interlinked and they all often people will experience a degree of stress which they can experience over quite a long period of time if they're experiencing challenges with any aspect of their mental health yeah absolutely and and I often use the metaphor of an octopus you know you know lots of tentacles coming off and sort of reaching into different things but actually really the core of that is is all rooted in our ability to cope with stress or our vulnerability to stress because of our environment so we're gonna honestly I can't recommend not just because I wrote it but I can't recommend the resource enough but um because it's really it's empowering if you know it's like anything in life if you know what you're dealing with you're probably much more capable to work through it Mm. or to understand it or to support other people and that's the big thing isn't it this that's the other big correlation we wanted to make which is it's not just about the person who's experiencing it it's about the people around that person and what's your part to play in it I mean Mm. From your opinion, Lisa, what do you see when we think about the workplace? What do you think people's, if you're not experiencing stress yourself, but you're aware that someone else is experiencing stress, what do you think the attitudes or mindsets generally are towards it? I see two extremes. One is everyone normalises it. So stress is just a normal part of how we work here. That's like, of course, you're stressed if you're not stressing at working hard enough. Um, so it becomes part of the narrative for that organization um, on the other flip side of that people if they if they openly admit that they're feeling stressed um, well they're not resilient enough they're they're quite vulnerable they're quite weak you know we should be able to stand the pressure we're under so I think and luckily there are there's a movement to greater awareness around the fact that it's not uh, it's not a fault of the individual um, it's not purely down to an individual it's not purely about an environment although obviously the environment has a huge part to play it's a combination of factors but people one of the issues I have is that people have normalized stress and it's a term that's so overused it's it crops up and as you said in language day in day out for for so many people that it's almost we don't hear it anymore we don't really it doesn't ring any alarm bells for us. If you hear someone talking about stress, we don't go, oh my goodness, okay, we need to sit down and have a proper conversation about this. If someone said, I'm only sleeping two hours a night for for the last week, someone might say, well, gosh, what can we do to help? Um, or, you know, a number of other challenges that people have. But in terms of stress, people are like, join the club. Yeah, it's almost like, it's like a, it's like a badge of honour, isn't it? it, it I, like lots of these conversations, I think it's become so reductive that it's down to, well, yeah, you're just not resilient enough then, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you mm-hmm. are experiencing stress. And and so it's weaponized almost, isn't it? That yeah. we're we're using that terminology of resilience, like you either have it or you don't. And if you don't, you didn't make yeah. the cut type thing. So so there's a big 
case to be answered. There's a big need for it. Um, and maybe it's rooted in misunderstanding. I like to sort of give people the benefit of the doubt, which is, is it just a really big misunderstanding that people don't have the knowledge, don't have the insight, and therefore just respond from the place from which they're coming from, which is they just don't know enough. If we were to flip it on its head and empower people to know more about stress, would that increase their capability to do something about it? What do you think? That's a great question. And I think I've been thinking about that question quite a lot over the last week, because in September with the um, CIPD, the Health and Wellbeing at Work report that came out, and it showed that stress is still the main cause of absence and um, workload is the biggest contributing factor to that stress. So you're, so if, if, if you've got a uh, workload creating that sense of stress and the stress is the biggest factor or biggest cause of um, employee absence, that it, that's not new information. That's not, and it doesn't take, you know, it's, it doesn't take a genius to work out that if someone has got too much on you know, in terms of their workload, they are going to experience stress. So that comes down to, is it a case where people aren't aware because they don't understand stress is it because they're not aware because no one's feeding back so the employees aren't feeding back to their employer and saying the workload is too great so they're not taking responsibility themselves or is it that the employer isn't taking responsibility because they're not checking out or they don't care and they're just throwing more and more work out and if people keep taking it on then they'll keep you know that's the expectation that's the norm that becomes the norm but that's, that's just how we do things here so I don't know what's your thought well, I, I, I always think it comes down to the culture of the organisation, doesn't it? You know, if we're just expecting more and more of people, but we're not checking in, if there isn't mm -hmm. that element of that servant leadership, whereby we're checking in with our people, how are they coping? Um, if we're not walking around and actually seeing the pressures for ourselves, um, because I think that's the important thing as well, isn't it? So you know, when does pressure become stress? And knowing the difference because actually we can all you know I actually thrive a little bit on a little bit of pressure um to do to do things but too much pressure and mm. if there's too much going on in the environment then that's gonna elevate my stress level so now I'm I've now moved from a place of productivity to almost immobility sometimes mm. for me if I'm doing too much it's like then I'm I'm in danger of going into procrastination mode and it's okay I'm gonna call it out because I can, I work for myself. So I don't, I'm not fearful of me saying that on a podcast or my bosses, you know, mm. I'm only answerable to me or to my clients. Mm. But the bottom line is, is I think there's a fine window of opportunity whereby positive pressure, positive stress, which we talk about in the resource, you know, but when, at what point does that tip into being negative, counterproductive, oppressive, which is how pressure can feel. And then the next thing you know, you are dealing not just with acute stress, which again is okay in small doses, but now it's maybe something more chronic. And I think I might've said before, where does that show up? Shows up in performance. Mm. And I think for me, the thing that people get overly fixated on is someone's not performing mm -hmm. rather than actually notice that someone just seems a little bit um out of sorts mm. so it's not quite right there's been a change in their behavior there's been a pattern changing pattern of their work I wonder why that might be yeah and it's, and it's yeah it's that whole like everyone keeps talking about performance at the moment engagement you know like really everyone's talking about employee engagement and 
everyone's trying to come up with these quite sometimes quite complicated uh, approaches to how do we drive up employee engagement. And you think actually again, you your to your earlier question about correlation, employee engagement and stress. There, you know, there's there's a pattern there. There's there's a connection. So if if people are stressed, they're not going to be engaging particularly well. They're not going to be performing particularly well. So we need to go back and look at their level of stress. And I love that distinction about um, positive stress and negative stress. And yeah, in the resource you talk about um, you stress and distress. And I think for me, when I'm talking with companies, I most people, I would say probably 99% of people in companies, when they talk about stress, they talk about the negative type. Yeah. And if someone was to start talking about stress and meaning it positively, I think that can be a real blur. Um, and that can be, that can send quite confusing messages. So I always talk about stretch and it's that sense of pressure. Mm. You know, when we're recognizing that, you know, we have that level of energy in us and it's that sense of, it's a drive, it's a sense of motivation and when our emotional arousal has increased a little bit, that is designed to motivate us to take action. So, so if we're feeling stretched because it's really meaningful and it's got a great sense of purpose and we're excited about what we're doing, that is really positive. But as you say, it becomes too much or for too long, it has a, the opposite effect. Definitely. I like that. I like stretch because that sort of fits into how when we talk with clients, we, we focus on strengths. And strength mm. are the things that motivate and energize you. So you, you you put yourself on the right side of that equation, yeah. which is like you say, if you're doing the things that give that good energy for you, yes, they might make you a bit pumped. Yes, they might be that sense of anticipation and it's all like, go, go, go. That's great, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I guess the other thing is, do we know our people well enough to know where that happens for them uh, I mean this is probably a, a whole other topic but I think the whole thing is the stress is isn't that largely wrapped up in does the job description match the individual you know how how much are businesses doing on that recruitment process to ensure that actually are we making sure we have the right job description for the right people there's a good match there's a good connection there it's going to play to their strengths it's going to motivate them it's going to energize them or not because mm -hmm. what I see is in my client base a lot of people who overly stretched what the job description they were offered doesn't match the reality mm -hmm. so that creates this disconnect now mm -hmm. for people who you are having to be at work and who you are outside of the organization is creating a dissection and that dissection that gap is the zone of stress for you so yeah you know what I, I completely agree with that and I like that kind of that model because it really fits for what I talk a lot about in terms of imposter syndrome and that being you know when you're at work and you don't feel it might be work play but if you don't feel you're good enough because your role is not playing to your strengths and is not energizing you and actually you're being asked to do stuff that you don't really know about or have the confidence um to do well you have this constant internal narrative which is saying you're not good enough you're not getting this right those people over there are better and that we know that imposter syndrome um that so many of us experience over time is emotionally draining because we're constantly questioning ourselves and constantly doubting ourselves so we really have to i think be kind of be able to take a step back and say do we, you know is this role right for us am i able to show up in terms of me being me or am i trying to put on a mask to be something that fits the organization because automatically as soon as you walk in 
a door or turn your laptop on um, and you've got to put a mask on, that is exhausting, that's stressful. And I think a lot of people are in that position, particularly managers um, who are fine, you know, again, research has shown that they're the group where that needs the most support in terms of the impact they have on other people oh. and other people who haven't been developed and supported themselves, but they're having to put on their mask and go, I know how I'm doing this. I know what I should be doing and I'm getting on doing it. Internally, they're like, I have no idea. And people, I've spoken to two people in the last fortnight who are leaving their very senior roles because they're feeling out the depth and there's no support coming. And you're like, oh my gosh, but these are amazing gosh, people. What a waste. Mm. And, and and we know, I was at the Women in Work conference uh, last week. It's uh, the first time that that's actually happened, that conference. And we were talking about, uh, you know, profitability lies in having diverse teams. I think a McKinsey report showed that in the short term, you know, your your, your profitability goes up by 21%, 27% in the long term, the more diverse your teams are. But if we've got people stepping away, mm. and there's also another shocking statistic and, and largely driven by stress that actually for every one woman that actually goes into a director role to drop out at management level. Mm-hmm. So we, we've got to do, do better and to look after people. And I really liked what you talked about there in terms of, looking at that whole person and and I think it is the responsibility of companies to take a step back and and to maybe think about the different forms of stress and we talk about this in in the resource so let's should we go into just a few of them to see how those Mm. might show up in in work so we know for example there's personal friends and family employment study housing money social factors are all all precursors potentially Mm. for increasing levels of stress so how can businesses is it nothing to do with us or how can they engage with actually helping people with those touch points that could be potentially stress inducing i think where's like everything that you and i talk about is going back to having um really good conversations with people and Mm -hmm. reassuring people they don't have to be the experts and have all the answers because i think that sometimes puts people off asking the questions because it's like what will I say if (laughs) you know what am I going to do actually if we adjust if we're compassionate if we're curious and we we are asking someone about how they're doing what's going on for them simply because we care not because we didn't meet your targets I want to know what's going on (laughs) but you don't seem yourself at the moment you know you're you're quieter than normal you're snappier than normal or whatever it might be observing that person and just saying what is what can I do to help and you could have a really open conversation like that which is really lovely and just shows care but then there are also tools around that you can use mind have produced their wellness action plans um which they're always um they all seem to be updating in terms of making them fit for current circumstances so when for example during COVID and everyone was working from home they they created them they adapted them for managers to use to have a conversation with their teams who are remote working and those sorts of things are about identifying what causes them stress and what can the organisation do to support those individuals? Because if we don't know, then we can't do anything. And we have to understand that this is a shared responsibility. So the, so the organisation can do things to reduce the stresses. The individual also has to do take on that responsibility and do something different to take control of their stress. But if we do it as a team and we're all trying to work together makes a huge difference definitely and i i really like i like that idea because i do believe like you that it is the responsible responsibility of the individual you do need to own 
where you're at it's okay to ask for help and I do really like the whole conversations being compassionate Mm. being curious because actually that opens up the capacity for someone to be more vulnerable to say that my vulnerability vessel is completely full I'm like honestly I need some support Mm. that's great because that's that melting of minds and what I often say in my other work in menopause is actually you know what usually the person has the answers to what they need they do yeah um but actually unless you create a platform in which they can open and show that vulnerability and express how they're feeling because something I want to throw out here and obviously we won't have the audience to answer back but I absolutely am pretty sure there'll be a resounding nodding of heads which is um if you can get a resounding nodding of heads which is usually (laughs) silent but um if you did uh it would be about the question how do people feel on a Sunday night Mm. just throw that one out there I had someone say that to me this morning and that person had convinced themselves that the way they were feeling was just Sunday night blues or is it Is it realising that here you are as your authentic self at home, maybe dealing with some pressures or stresses at home, maybe you're caring for elderly relatives, maybe you've got young children, maybe you've got kids going through exams, they've just left home, you're going through the perimenopause, you're going through any number of illnesses Mm. or conditions and the prospect of coming back to work on Monday morning. You know, there's no surprise that we know that the levels of suicide peak on a Monday morning yeah, because people cannot face that return to work. Mm. And so it's that disconnect. So I would challenge people and ask people, at what point on a Sunday do the Monday work gremlins start creeping in? Mm. And I mean, sort of like on a habitual basis, like they've taken up residence mm. inside of you. I mean, what do you think? Do you think most people may connect with that idea that, you know, they realise? Massively. Yeah, and I've been part of uh, sort of discussion uh, groups to look at uh, and explore that exact idea to shape practice on a Monday morning so what do we do how do we help people transition from who they are on a weekend and balancing things hopefully and then suddenly getting back into work mode and having too much on and the companies who are expecting you to show up at half eight on a Monday morning and here we go with the presenting all your results for whatever and you know all this stuff that you know is going to put people under a huge amount of pressure probably be encouraging them to to work on the weekend to get ready for that and where companies are taking this really seriously are those that are looking at their practice and saying we accept that a lot of people find Sunday evenings a struggle sometimes people are thinking they've got to check in on a Sunday to get ready for their Monday and so how about you building that time on a Monday morning for people to get ready for yes. the week ahead because that's part of their work and that shouldn't be imposing um, on their weekends and that's where that line has become really blurred between our work and our non-work um where where do we draw the boundaries but again it's it's very easy to point the finger at individuals and say well you've just got to switch off at whatever time but are our, are our companies supporting us to be able to do that? And that's about them looking at their practice. So I so one of the um I remember a couple of years ago I created a resource um based on someone else's work called um about stress mapping. Mm. And I love when you can do it as an individual, but it's really powerful when you do it as a as a team and you actually look at what is causing you stress. You could just do it in a workplace if you want to, or if people are happy to, they can um look at it in a broader way. 
and you give each stressor a, a kind of number in terms of how much impact it's having on you. And then you start to say, right, what can we do to change that a little bit? It gives you a really lovely framework. So rather than talking about stress, and some people don't like that just kind of one-to-one conversation, it feels very much like it's, it's, almost, it's too personal. If you can have something on a piece of paper and draw stuff out and put numbers on it and say, well, actually, I want to reduce that from a four, I want to change up to another number, and I want to do this over here... It's almost putting the table at the problem on the table. Mm. It's a bit more objective, and people can step outside of it and look at it. And that can be make it a little bit easier than talking about something that's inside of me that we've all got to fix. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So you're contextualizing it, aren't you? And mm. actually, it's, and when you can see the problem, that's I believe for a lot of people half the battle. It's like, okay, it's no longer just like in a washing machine cycle inside of my head. I can actually put some context to it. I understand that maybe me having to look after elderly relatives, for example, Mm. is really eating into my time. I don't have enough time for myself. I'm not giving myself any leeway. and I'm just rushing from one thing to another. Okay, maybe that's the one thing I can focus on rather than, like I say, that whole spin cycle thing, which so many people describe to me like it's just all in there. I don't know what separates from what. Yeah, so, I so use that's... I use the term observing self. So that sense of being able to get out of you and look at you from outside. And you could imagine that you're a Martian coming down and landing on Earth and looking at you going, and what would they say? They could just see what you're trying to do right now. I sometimes think about that when I'm trying to make packed lunches, trying to talk to my husband about something. And I'm trying to think about what I'm doing for work in five minutes time, whatever. You've got your stuff going on. If someone came in and would be like, what on Earth are you trying to do? <laughs> And something you need some you need someone to say to stop and just what like you're not being particularly effective in any of that. What can we do to shuffle things around a little bit so that you have a greater sense of control? Because we know that stress is it's when it's it's your workload is perceived to be bigger than what you can cope with. And is that the word perception is so important there, isn't it? Mm. So it's actually if I'm feeling if I've had a great night's sleep and I'm feeling really resilient then I know I can cope with all these, I can keep these balls up in the air. But actually, as soon as I'm feeling a bit tired or a bit overwhelmed with something, they just start dropping. And I have to notice that to be able to do something different. Absolutely. And and again, that whole perception thing, we talk about that in, mm. in the resource uh, because it is, the, you know, the perception is what is driving the hormonal changes. And, you know, the minute, one of the things I found most fascinating, Lisa, when I was researching for the article was most people may not realise, but will we'll engage with the feeling that, you know, when you feel really stressed, you just feel like you can't focus on anything. You feel like your eyes just stop working. And in fact, they actually do stop working largely. You cannot focus because your, your eyes are looking for threat. And so it's widening your gaze, not narrowing your gaze. So which is why our young people sitting doing exams, if they're in a hyper stressed state they're not going to be able to read the question let alone what they're writing so there are very very physical reactions to that stress and one of the things I was going to say is and a bit contentious because I love to be a bit contentious uh is but actually are we preparing upskilling our people in the workplace to be able to multitask to process various bits and bobs or are we setting people up to fail I mean I really do think in order to be called a manager I do think that it needs to be some sort of um 
demonstration that you can actually manage in the same way I, I would think most leaders you need to demonstrate you can lead rather than just mm. wear a badge saying leader doesn't mean you're competent mm. and I wonder if there is a lack of competence for people around things like um, prioritization around planning mm. around delegation mm. you know I, I just wonder could businesses be do do more to get the most from their people, to give the most support to their people, but to actually get the best from them in return. What do you think? Do you think people oh, completely. are... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... Gosh, it's that just sounds like so many conversations I have all the time. And I and the thing for me that reminds me of are when people having do these engagement surveys. Um, and there, I was talking to someone recently who... Uh, he is very switched on he's very self-aware he's very aware of his team his senior manager um very aware of everything to do with stress and has great conversations and uh he uses uh team discussion frameworks to get the conversation going so that those managers can go and talk to their teams and he's really switched on so he consistently gets very high scores in his engagement surveys his peers don't but it's left to his peers who are those senior managers to work, to look at the results of their engagement survey, to um, interpret them, to feed them back in the right way to their teams, to then work out what the solutions are, to be able to improve engagement going forward. So reducing the stresses and reducing barriers to people feeling good at work. But those people don't have the skills or the competence to do that or the confidence. And and I was saying to the, the, the guy I was speaking to, but you really get this. It's one of your real passions. You're really good at it. So surely people can learn from you. Oh, no, we don't really have those systems in place at work. So I'm just going to carry on being amazing. These people around me aren't, but no one's stepping in and supporting them because they don't have the skills around having great conversations and knowing just knowing how to go about reducing stress in a really practical way, which starts from just knowing the people in your team being curious, having some tools up your sleeve, which are like, which is why we put this resource together. There's some practical um, ideas and there's some practical resources to go and check out. But it's like, actually, you've just got to, people need perhaps hand-holding to start with. They need mentoring, potentially. Um, they just need someone there to give them as much or as little support as they need. And again, that's not a blanket approach. That's not all managers got to come on this course and learn how to have this conversation. Is that, is that kind of one-to-one? -one, what is it I can help you with? What, where are you at now? What's the next thing you need to develop yourself a little bit more in the right direction? Yes. So personalising it. Yeah, great. I'm just writing those all down. Um, yes, I love that because it is all about that development. I think, I think we're too casual. There, mm. I've said it. I think we're too casual about the people we bring into our organisation or the people we promote within our, our organisation. I don't mind admitting, Lisa, I was a really, really successful representative in the pharmaceutical industry. I was not a resoundingly good pharmaceutical manager because I, I wasn't skilled up. Mm. I was a salesperson who's really good at selling. Mm. So they made me into a manager because they wanted more people to be really good at selling but there was a disconnect. Yeah. You know, great salespeople don't automatically make great managers. No, and, and 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 I don't know why people still believe that and still practice that model of um promotion in terms of because we all know that just because you're good at your role does not make you a good manager. 
So why why do we still have this um, structure in organisations, which is to to go up, you know, to get paid more or to have more a better sense of status, you know, to show that you are developing and you're successful. We have you have to go up a traditional ladder, which means you now have to become a manager of people, even though you might not have had anything to do with people well, in the past. Well, well exactly. Why are people still doing that? Because the answer is people like me eventually get to the top. And because that's how you got to the top, it's good enough for everybody else, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But actually, that's why we're busier than ever with like cultural leader programs or engaged leader programs, because no one's taught them how to be leaders either. Mm. So we've got a whole tranche of people who are being failed as managers who are then going up and actually failing as leaders. And those leaders, I often liken it to the rainforest canopy. You know, if you've ever read, seen, been in a rainforest, it's vast. It's, It's like its own micro ecosystem Mm. but right at the top the canopy is so far above you can barely see what's on the forest floor and so there is a a physical disconnect Mm. you know geographically we never see our leaders coming into middle management for mentoring opportunities to bringing people in to actually seeing what the level of skill what the level of compassion conversations communication is like we don't have enough walk arounds we have a a meeting once a year if we're lucky Mm. oh and as a manager you go through some often a facade of a process of having an annual appraisal but that's someone who's appraising you who equally doesn't have that level of competence so so that's I mean that's my opinion it is just my opinion but having worked like yourself in lots of organizations it is endemic that we don't start at the bottom and go, do you know what we're really, this is an investment bringing someone into this business. So let's nurture them. Let's Mm -hmm. give them the best environment in which they can flourish, thrive, be motivated. They can also do that for their team around them. Oh, and actually then let's keep investing in them because we want to promote them into a senior manager role or promote them to a leader. Mm -hmm. Let's keep investing in their development and making sure that they are still aware of the team around them. I think sadly Mm -hmm. what happens is it's me, myself and I, Mm. I'm moving forward Mm. and I think there's less we and less team so I think it's that cultural piece again and I think yeah I I I I like that and I think um if we encourage everyone to think a bit more about what being human is about you know I always talk about putting the human factor back into business but you know we have emotional needs and if our needs are met well enough and in balance which is not about being perfect because we know that that's that's just not not realistic but if we know that they're met well enough and in balance then we are you know I will reduce my sense of stress I will experience more positive um, mental well-being I'll be more engaged at work I'll be a nicer team player I mean the whole thing but you know, when you look at emotional needs, as you know, you can, people can do emotional needs audits. You can do those as an individual. You can do those as a team of people um, and focus on the workplace. But when you're looking at a case of what's my sense of status and my sense of achievement, you know, like that touches on feedback culture and um, what's my um, sense of uh, when I'm connection, connecting with my team, how do we connect? And is that meaningful for me or is that something that's just um, kind of logistical and it's just transactional and there's nothing else to it so we start if you start to look at your emotional needs and you look at actually how does your practice around you improve those and make sure those needs are met or actually take them away to strip them back out it's it's just a really human way of interacting with our environment 
And if everyone just had some basic skills on how to do that, then regardless of what level you're at in your organization, you you can you know what you're looking for to be successful. And obviously, as a, the higher up you get in terms of seniority, you can shape that for other people, which is great. But it's it's yeah. kind of going back to just the fundamentals of actually what does good look like and what does that feel like? What do I need in order to feel good? And the feel good bit's going to be different for everyone. You know, what what how do we define feeling good? You and I might define that differently. So yeah, yeah. Well, I think it comes back to what you said originally, though, and and what we both sort of align with with it's those compassionate, mm. curious conversations, isn't it? Yeah. Th- you know, those three C's going together because actually, if you if you are compassionate, you're you're probably listening more than you're talking. Mm. Um, if you're curious, if you are talking, you're probably asking the right questions. And creating a place for someone to be vulnerable and to also create solutions. Mm. Uh, so largely, maybe we could put a course together, Lisa, for people to how to do this. So yes. um, it, it's wrapped up in that communication, isn't it? And that is a cultural piece. How do how do people communicate within this organisation? Is it cloaked in silence, mm. or can people feel psychologically safe mm. to talk about how they're feeling um, without fear, judgment? Uh, reprisals repercussions all of those other things which all create stress for people what I see sadly which is why I felt really really very confident in what came out of writing this chapter was actually if like you're always saying if we get people right you know that's the Mm. most important thing but if we create the right environments I think for me that's what this comes down to people assimilate their environment you know I'm a biologist at heart and you know survival of the fittest and all of that it actually comes down to your your ability to be agile to flex within the environment within your which in which you're put we don't want people surviving at work we want people thriving so that's the only bit I've got a problem with that bit of science we don't want survival we Mm. want thriving bringing their best selves so in that resource there are so many clickable links Mm that people can just tap on either as someone who's curious to know more about this, curious to sort of supercharge those conversations in their, in their businesses or in environments or even their teams or for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you, what else would you say, Lisa, you know, that, that people could afford to engage with in this process of trying to reduce stress in their organizations? I, I think for me, the biggie is about people being, motivated enough to do it it's a bit like um the sleep webinar that you and I were both on the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce recently and you know we know I mean the correlation between stress and sleep is huge um but we were talking about actually people know they should be sleeping but how much do we prioritize going to bed early or getting enough sleep um and I think it's the same with stress we it's become so normalize that there is just so much stress everywhere and everyone's permanently stressed and it's like well that's just life today isn't it and gosh wish we could go back and it's like the olden days you know you come with that reminiscing um but I think we I think it's about people taking a stand as an individual as a team as an organization saying actually we're a bit fed up of hearing about stress being accepted accepted as the norm we're we're fed up with the stats that are coming out from the research that show that's still the one of the biggest factors of um absence. We're fed up of actually the trends just not change. They're not, we're not 
despite all the awareness around mental health and well-being and all this stuff that's been happening to apparently reduce stress over the last however many years it's not work it's not making a difference so it's for people to say we have to take responsibility what can I do differently and as an individual what can I do differently so labeling my feelings saying I'm feeling stressed but rather than I'm feeling stressful stop I'm feeling stressed because because once I've identified the because that then becomes a driver well that's why I need to do something about that's where I need to take some action and you can then create your mini action plan I need to go and have a conversation with my line manager and say actually the work you've given me is not doable in the number of hours I've got or I need to go and do x y or z you know it's that becomes the motivator for change but that only works if your manager is also saying we we want to reduce stress here so we want everyone to thrive and to be able to engage and perform and so on so actually I need to make sure we're looking as a team at how we change our roles slightly so that we can make sure our workload is working we're playing to people's strengths because we know that they're more productive and so it's but it starts you know individuals got to be doing it from kind of the bottom up leaders have got to be doing it from the top down but all the managers in the middle have got to be completely on board in terms of having the tools at their fingertips if they need some specific tools or just having a little bit of support a bit of development but you know mentoring training whatever it is to be able to have the conversations that really matter and take it seriously yeah absolutely because you know in its broadest sense this leads to burnout and burnout people die from burnout you know it's no it's no joking matter it, the the body will only take so much and then people will go into collapse mm. um i've actually coached two people through burnout and it is really tough mm. really tough for the person tough for family around because actually usually this might shock people but usually the people who are least aware that they're in burnout are the actual people going through it Mm. Um, there'll be a lot of high presenteeism probably very low absenteeism Um, they will look like the person who's totally delivering and your star performer possibly Mm. and so it's it's really important that we're mindful because again I think that there are sort of narratives that are help, unhelpful that people walk around with like you know as we'll talk in later uh, episodes you know what does someone who's depressed look like you know mm-hmm. what does someone who's stressed look like um mm-hmm. I myself have been very close to burnout and that will probably shock a lot of people but the reality is that, that there's a long narrative behind that and it's about work harder do more the, the more you're working, the harder you're working, the more successful you are. And then th- hopefully that will dial down some of the stress. Oh, no, it doesn't. But I'm already in too deep. So we'll just keep going. So it, it, everybody has the capacity to arrive at that destination. Mm-hmm. Actually, how you're supported and what options are available to you are, are really important. But I would I would say people like ourselves, Lisa, are mm-hmm. very good at supporting people. Yeah. Should yeah. they find themselves in that position that they can't help themselves. Yeah. But 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 I do agree with you. It is those resources that you can tap into mm. for yourself. And I'd also just find whatever resonates for people. So if someone is quite anti the term stress, and they're like, oh, I'm not really, that doesn't bother me. I'm not motivated by that. Then talk about something else that's directly linked. So um, I can't remember the, the name of the guy who um, we looked at after the stress webinar um, with Joe McGarry, but the there was a TED talk um, and the guy who was talking about what actually happens if we don't have enough sleep. Yes. So if we don't have now he's it's a 15 minute talk, but if you listen to him talking about 
um, the latest findings, you know, the links with cancer and then just the all the the reality of not having enough sleep. Now we know if someone's living with stress for a long time, it will impact on their sleep. So if if stress alone isn't going to do it for you, look at um look at sleep. If sleep oh. alone's not going to do it, look at health and look at longevity yeah. of life because it, all the data is there. So it's finding the critical point that motivates that someone goes, oh actually I'm interested in that. <laughs> so we'll, let's start yeah. with that and we'll just show you the link back to stress. And and also I like that idea of, of what do you want instead? You know, what will you get back? What what mm. this what is what are these feelings, emotions, sensations robbing you of mm. that you would like back in a different form? Mm. So so you're right, it is all about that motivation. Because if you can tune into that, then you have a higher degree of chance of creating some new habits which mm. are going to be more supportive for you, possibly mm. more healthy. And mm. and yes, we know that those proteins in our brain don't get cleared out if we're not getting enough of that restorative sleep. Mm. And with stress, you know, there's a high indication for cardiovascular mortality. So you know, heart attacks, strokes, because it is a silent killer because the body is reacting silently on your behalf. So, mm-hmm. but I wonder as well, Lisa, is um, as we sort of bring our conversation sort of nearing to a, to a close, you know, the reality is, do you think businesses actually understand what it would do for them, their bottom line, if they looked after people so that people did come to work feeling more motivated, did feel like work was a place where they could thrive, mm. where stress is largely dialed down and they can be the same person in and out of work. Do you think they really have tuned in to what this would do to their productivity and profitability, or is it just another tick box exercise? I think for some people it's a tick box exercise, and I think for some others they still haven't quite they know they need to do something in the space because it will have a positive impact but they don't know the best way of diving into that space to make a difference so it's a bit like the term you used earlier about psychological safety good team managers and good leaders know that they should be using psychological safety what does that actually look like what do I need to do when I go into work today to make to communicate psychological safety and actually it's the how which is I think is the missing bit which is why I guess which is why we've created this um, collective of resources because we it's people know that they should be doing something and they know I think they know that it's supposed to make a difference. Um, you could if you think you don't have to think too hard about why that would make a difference. So even if you're not looking at the data, you just think for yourself. If someone's less stressed, they're going to be more engaged at work, and more productive. But it's how do I go about reducing the stress levels? How do I go about actually making that different in the most efficient way so when people think about stress and doing something different in their company they'll often say well it's your job over there you've got to come up with a um a big you know new intervention and it's going to be really complicated and it's going to be really expensive and it's going to be you know it's suddenly another layer of almost mental noise it's this kind of oh gosh it's something else I've got to think about whereas actually it doesn't have to be very complicated we could really easily upskill and give confidence to, if you just started with managers to have really good conversations with their teams, that would make a massive difference. And you suddenly, you develop mentors and within the company who mentor, you know, they mentor other people. And then suddenly you have this lovely learning cycle happening within organizations. You're not relying on external people coming in and delivering because you don't want someone coming doing an off the shelf thing and teaching you all about stress and telling you how to sort it out. It's just about giving people the confidence. 
So I think for which is why I love, you know, you and I are fans of creating these resources because it's like go away and take this resource and take all the links to the other practical resources and go and just try it out because here's a conversation framework. Here's a guide to talk to your team about this. So you haven't even got to think about what to say. <laughs> you know, it's like exactly. the stuff's here. <laughs> it's it's here and in and and almost unknowingly I didn't know I was leading you into that because actually one of the clickable links is the health and safety executive which actually gives you a step by step uh it's almost like a, a, a process in fact for you to work through to see where you're at and you can measure yourself against that as an, as an organization mm. to see what good looks like and we've had data quite recently where the whole compassionate conversations thing absolutely bears out and we've seen by actually encouraging a, a, an environment where you can have open conversations about how you're experiencing something 30 percent reduction in absenteeism well that alone means it's all about the conversations doesn't it and a conversation does not need to be a biggie and we've proved that you can have a conversation with someone for 20 minutes it can be a complete game changer so be I mean I guess I mean let's give one takeaway let's give a soundbite from each of us based on what we've discussed here we've been researching it we know that people are going to either be starting with this continuing or you know they're going to want to take it to the next level but what what would you want people to take away from our message today what I'd love people to do is to download the resource so it's stress awareness down the 2nd of november which is why we have released this when we've released it what i'd love people to do is again doing it collectively so a manager and their team downloads the resource they go away and read it because they're it's very very accessible this is not a weighty book that's propping up something on the bookshelf this is about something that's very accessible it's very simple to read and come back and have a meeting with no agenda other than to discuss what came to mind from reading the resource. And as a team, what do we think we want to do next with it? As broad as that. Lovely. I love that idea. And if they needed any help with moving that forward, then definitely get in touch with Lisa or myself, because that that that's the thing. We understand for some organisations, you don't have maybe the infrastructure to then do anything with that. But actually mm-hmm. having consultants and people to guide you through can can be helpful just to get you going. And well, and also on that, that just sorry, Amanda, just before you um, say your piece of advice. Yeah, yeah, cool. That, that bit about support, sometimes it's... It's literally just like hand-holding and I'll come in, I'll go along to a meeting and I will model how to have the conversation. And often people afterwards, it's just, and it's very natural, but people afterwards go, oh, is, is that that it? Like, that's, it's like, yeah, but look at what you got out of it. Like, oh, I can do that. And, and then they're off. But it's just the confidence to have a go and knowing what's expected of them. Exactly. And we do something similar in our champion training. So we we do that real play scenario because not everyone loves the role play scenario. So and that gives confidence. People, like mm-hmm. you say, it's like, oh, I thought it was going to be a much bigger conversation than that. And yeah. I wouldn't even know how to start it. And yeah. usually what I say to people is if you engage with that empathic side of yourself, you usually smile at somebody, your yeah. face will soften. It will invite people to sit down with you and to start a conversation. Yeah. And remember, a conversation doesn't always start about getting straight into it. We all need to warm up a little bit, you know, talk about the, the environment, talk about what you've done at the weekend, mm-hmm. build bridges. And I think that's the bit that I would want to say didn't know I was going to say this but it's just come to me 
I would say it's about what you do before this that matters. Mm. You know, if you don't have good communication in your organisation, coming in and wanting to talk about stress is going to probably drive the stress levels right up. I think it's about asking yourselves, do we speak nicely to one another around here? Do I know what X person does when they're not at work? Do mm. I actually care what they do when they're on their lunch break? You know, because if we don't do any of that, it's probably largely pointless. Mm. What I'm saying is if we totally engage with the idea that businesses thrive on the people that come to them every day, mm -hmm. uh, we spend a long time at work, it's important that we are thriving, not surviving. Mm. And therefore it matters how we speak to one another at mm. all levels and not just in, in silos. You know, I only ever speak to my boss. Actually, how often are senior leaders mm -hmm. walking around getting a sense of how people are feeling? So I would hope that this provokes more conversation, more communication of the type that is not superficial, but is rich and it has more breadth and depth mm -hmm. because that's how we really get to know our people and know what good looks mm -hmm. like for our people. So I would really urge everybody with all of these resources, as Lisa has said, really invest in them, collect them like those panini cards that you used to connect for football. It's like that, but better. It's got bells on um, and it, and they, they are a fantastic collective. So fair warning, this one is coming out in time for Stress Awareness Week on 2nd of November. So and share follow, the, share follow the, the resilience collective yes. the resilience collective follower this we've got a hashtag yeah that's all of the moment and this is available on lisa's website so all you've got to do is be committed to to do it for yourself and for others mm. anything i've missed out lisa no i think that's awesome <laughs> amazing what you can do when you're motivated that's it though isn't it look yeah. what happens when you're motivated yeah because and and you know what because and this is this comes back to because we both are so you know we live and breathe the stuff day in day out and we're so motivated and so determined just to try and drive change like real change that you and I hadn't spent hours preparing today we joined the call five minutes you know and it's like right we're just going to talk about stress no prep no I mean I don't know how we're doing with it 52 minutes so that's quite good because we said yeah. it's gonna be under an hour yeah. um but you just see where because it's authentic it's real it's like right what's coming to mind what do we think is relevant um that's it doesn't have to be it's not about being an expert and being professionally prepared and everything it's just saying it's just having space and an interest and just being yourself absolutely and the perspectives just to remind people that that actually we're bringing a collective perspective which is what mm. we wanted to do you know mm. I think that creates that varied thinking for people I'm a coach so it's all generative for me it's all about outcomes and it's all about getting getting to an end point and Lisa your role I mean how would you you know the objectives within your role what are the objectives within your role well as a my psychotherapist is is about um helping people get beyond what they're feeling stuck with and the psychologist bit of me is about getting underneath the surface of actually what's really going on as opposed to what people think might be going on um so getting beneath the surface now tell me those two objectives don't fit in business yeah yeah so that's all we're asking people to do throughout yeah. this aren't we get beneath the surface be interested and guess what yes move people towards a direction that's good for them mm. but in a consultative way mm. not and, not being done to people and people need to look out for the next 
uh, resource, which is about depression and anxiety, I think, if I've got that right. I think that's the yes. next one's following. Yeah. Um, so we will be back and talking about that resource next month. Yeah, lovely. So uh, you've got plenty of time. So we'd love your feedback. That's the only other thing we'd like to say. Mm. We'd love your feedback because that's really helpful. This is something that was an idea that we've put together and we don't know where it's going to go, but we hope it goes places and it makes a difference to people. So we'd love to know what you think about it. Um, you know, we can handle the critique. So come come back, let us know. And if you're using stuff that we haven't considered, please let us know because, you know, that, that would be really helpful. We could update our resources. Mm. But sh- you tell us what good looks like. Equally, if there are scenarios that really are just so difficult for you and you're struggling to know where to, to move with that, mm. we're, we're accessible, aren't we, Lisa? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Amantha. I've very much enjoyed today. That's been brilliant. Thank you. Take care. See you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Can't wait. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I invite you to think about one thing that you will take away to think about or do differently. I'd be really grateful if you can give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brand point, leave me a short review. I'm really keen to help drive real change for better practice in the world of people at work and spreading the message will help that. I'd love you to also join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things that I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. Please do reach out to me directly to discuss the topics covered on this podcast or perhaps other challenges around people at work. And if we're not already acquainted on LinkedIn, please connect. All the links you need are in the show notes. Until next time, bye for now.